Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the second episode in our political series. Today we have perhaps the most special guest we've ever had. My husband, Chris Cochran, who is here to mansplain politics. So I was just kidding. He's not mansplaining. He asked him to come because he is a political science. Um, he majored in that in college. He works in government now. One of his passions is government function and just kind of understanding how it works. And I, this is why you're here because I can't talk about it. But he has a really good understanding of everything that I ended up asking him a lot of questions throughout the year. So as we were talking about our political series and trying to get ready for the upcoming elections, we thought it would be really good to just kind of give you a government 101 refresher course. Um, chances are, if I forget things, the rest of us do too. And we can all use a refresher. So Chris is going to kind of walk us through government functions today, I guess. Would you like to say anything else, Milo? No, just uh, it's an honor and privilege to be here. You're so sweet. <laughs> That's very sweet. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I was thinking about it. I was like, so every year, I, I feel like every election cycle, I mean, I know there's midterm elections, but the big election, every four-year election cycle, I feel like people forget like basic government 101. So they start freaking out because they don't remember what anything is or they freak out because the popular votes this and the electoral college is this or they worry about which party is going to lead. And I think people forget their basic government lessons. And so I will say one of my favorite, I know this is going to be shocking, one of my favorite classes in college was Poli Sci 101. So... <laughs> I'm very excited about this. Oh, you mean Rebecca Cochran forgets? No, you're not the only person in the United States. Who <laughs> totally did you ever watch? Did you ever watch Jay Leno when he used to go out in the street? You know, oh, yeah. ask people like uh-huh. questions like how many branches of government there are yeah. there, and most people didn't have a clue how many branches of government there were. So <laughs> the the answer's three, Rebecca. By the way, I did know that one. <laughs> I have often said that I could not pass an immigration test to like come into our country. Yeah. Well, you'd have to study. Most people have to study. Yeah, okay. I, I would definitely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should have done. Maybe we should have interviewed you like you were taking an immigration test. That would have been a funny shtick. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah, they, I would not have been here. I was <laughs> so Chris, why do you, why did you study politics in college? And why do you, why do you think you, enjoy politics so much? I know my answer, but what's your answer? Uh, yeah, so I, I studied poli-sci back, uh, gosh, it's been about 13 years now. Uh, really, the, truly, the reason I studied it is I felt like it was kind of just in my blood. Um, my grandfather was a House of Representative member in Tennessee, uh, and my great-grandfather was um, as well. So it just kind of, growing up with all that, it's kind of been kind of in my blood, if you will. And, uh, I, I, you know, really had a passion for just studying the actual political cycles and, and kind of the behavior of why people do what they do and how they vote. Um, so just kind of a few of those things just kind of really resonated with me and, uh, decided to do that as a major. I, I, everyone always asks, well, why didn't you go to law school? And, you know, I, I never really wanted to practice law. So, I mean, it's, it's been a thought of mine, but it's really and truly, I, I enjoy doing the government administration kind of things that I do now. Yeah. 
that's good because not a lot of people enjoy that. So that's good that you enjoy that. But I was thinking about like the, the psychology behind politics. That's interesting. Um, just beha- like behavioral science of politics. That's an interesting study. Oh, that's think like about that. all of it is what I learned from yes. you. Why people vote the way they do. I mean, like yeah. that's what it all is, is swaying mm-hmm. people groups of people and figuring out how they're going to vote. Well, yeah. And it's more, you know, that's, that, that's another thing. It's more just, it's not about political parties and things there. I mean, that obviously is a component to it, but there's a lot more behavioral stuff to it where, you know, you do studies on why people vote the way that they do, or, you know, with exit polling, why do they feel like they need to lie? Like, you know, there's things that are researched like that, you know, there's all these things and social pressures and things that, you can study and kind of get all of these answers to apply political theory. And, you know, I won't bore you with that, but. No, that's uh, literally why you're here. <laughs> um, you want to bore us or <laughs> information? No, we're doing 101. So we're trying to okay, you know, okay. Yeah, we're basically. Uh, put your listeners to sleep. Um, but it, it is interesting. I never really thought about it before. Like I think about back of like when I turned 18 and could start voting to, to now like, I don't think my way of voting has changed, but how I talk about it has changed. Because I feel like when I was younger, um, I had to vote a certain way. And so if I didn't vote that, like societal pressures, and if I didn't vote that way or familiar pressures or whatever, and if I didn't vote that way, um, then there was something wrong with me. So I would say I voted one way, even if I didn't. Um <laughs> And I wouldn't know if that, I don't know if that's lying. Okay. Yeah, it probably is like, no, for sure. Definitely. I mean, and that's a discussion for another time, but definitely um, working in church ministry and stuff like that. I definitely didn't fully share all the ways that I voted and I wasn't nearly as politically vocal as I am now (laughs) because now it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, I guess it does matter, but not to keep my job. It doesn't matter. So So anyways, okay. So let's start like the very basics. We all know that we live in a two-party system. A lot of other countries have multi-parties. It's interesting every time I watch other, especially like European politics, I'm just fascinated by all the different um, parties that constantly shift the lead. But we live in a system in America that's a two-party system. And um, it didn't, it wasn't kind of set up that way. But now we're here. And I think a lot of people forget which party um, has what platform. Um, we have the media that shows us, um, you know, Democrats believe this or Republicans believe this, but historically, what is a Republican and what's a Democrat? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that, um, you know, you set it up great there because, you know, the founding fathers really didn't plan on having something like a, a two-party system to rule. Um, but that just kind of was the consequences with the Federalists and uh, the, you know, the Jeffersonians that came, came about. Um, all that kind of to say, if you think about it now, you, you hear obviously the Republicans and the Democrats. So what is that? The Republicans um, believe more in limited government. They believe, you know, in, in more of a conservative mentality. So when that you think of that, you think of that like fiscally conservative, um, you know, not, not for big government, not for big spending. Um, and then when you think of the Democratic Party, you think more of um, more for social programs, um, more for bigger government and government to help. Um, assist the their you know the citizens. Um, so you think of that now, and that's kind of pretty much in our generation what we've grown up to know. Um, mm-hmm. Like you alluded to, that's not how they used to always be. Uh, in fact, you know, it almost was kind of not necessarily flip flopped, but um, throughout the year, years as it evolved as a country, 
um, you know, you, you had the centralized thought of, of, you know, centralized government and, and, um, then, you know, limited government or more states rights and things like that. Um, as events happen, like the great depression, um, the civil war, things like that, that kind of started to move people and start to kind of make them think more of like, what do they value? Um, so looking back at that, a lot of the, you know, the ideas that we think of now of being conservative or being liberal, that wasn't even associated with all of that. That, that yeah. was, that was not until modern political history right now. Um, so you, you had parties, um, and you had people like the Whigs, the Whig party, which, um, you know, that was developed in the 1840s, but then that even evolved, you know, with, with the civil war, with the great depression, mm-hmm. um, and those kind of events, um, FDR with his new deal, more people bought onto that more people thought that the, the federal government should be helping, um, more people out. Um, so that kind of changed, you know, people that traditionally voted for Republican to Democrat, um, and so forth. You know, you even have with the African-American community, um, for the most part, they generally before World War II were, um, voting on the Republican ticket. Um, but with FDR and that new deal and things like that, and, and, um, Truman with the civil rights, you know, introducing that stuff that obviously made people switch, you know, mm-hmm. switch parties and whatnot. So it really has to just kind of look at traditionally how um, certain events kind of make these parties and what they, they stand for and their platforms kind of evolve. And with that, that kind of, you know, changes who actually supports for the, those, um, those parties. It's interesting. I just think about because I'm older than you guys. So I just think about the, the evolution of politics, even in our lifetime. Um, right. You know, I when I think of a Republican, um, you know, I was born in 1979. So I think of Ronald Reagan as like my picture of like what a Republican looks like. And then when I think of a Democrat, I think of Jimmy Carter. Um, and then even like, you know, a little bit more into Bill Clinton. Those are like my pictures of what like a Republican and a Democrat are. And even in that short time period, because I'm not that old, even in that short time period, I feel like that both the parties have evolved. Like, um, but I, my, I guess my problem comes in when we start to get close to an election time is that we, we talk about... Um, like what party we are and we don't really dig into like what the party actual platform is. You know, I would say, I think you did a really great job of, you know, Republicans typically want decentralized government. They want, you know, less money flowing into the government. They want more private um, enterprises taking over things. And then Democrats obviously want more centralized government. They want government taking um, care of people and, 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 and it's not like one takes care of people and one doesn't. It's just how um, each one of the parties think we should take care of things and, and how money should flow. Um, but we add all these other things onto it. Like I think of it almost like religion. You know, there's the basics of Christianity. And then there's all the stuff that we like to add onto it as humans. And I think that's what happens with the, the political parties too. So, Well, and what's, you know, you bring up an interesting point too in the time when you, you know, you talk about 1979 and 1980. I mean, that's really kind of the foundation of what we think of in our generation of what, what a Republican is and what a Democrat is based yep. on, you know, Carter and, um, and, uh, and Reagan. Um, but, you know, what we also kind of now kind of make these more of like labels, um, yep. even more so than just identifying them as parties. You know, we talk about red and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, Funny enough, you know, back in 1980, that's that's really and truly before all that. If you want to classify what colors 
you know, certain parties were, you know, we always think of a red, per- yeah. you know, red as a red state as, as Republican or blue. That wasn't the way, like, you know, before all that, their party colors were actually opposite. And um, it really didn't become prominent until the 2000 election when that became something that was very, you know, very point of contention. It was very, you know, uh, publicized. Um, you know, we started kind of getting more with the internet, you know, so everything started to kind of become more global and bigger. Yeah. That, that whole terminology of, of, uh, of really running with conservative and liberalism, that really kind of went into hyperdrive in that election. So you um, that's when it like became a team yeah mentality for yeah yeah and and the whole concept of you know i think you alluded to more people are are, you know in the middle on these things and you know the purple icon you know really a a blue or red state or you know we're more purple or things like that um i think that's 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 definitely where all that started to come into play um but yeah as as far as you know the we liberalism and and conservatism that you know it's yeah yeah, I, I, it's interesting because, yeah, and just to see the evolution in my lifetime of, because 2000 was the first election that I got to vote in because I was 18 in 1998, but there wasn't a major, major election in 1998, um, or at least not one that I paid attention to because you know, what 18-year-old votes in midterm elections, most of them do. Most of them are just like waiting for the big one, right? And so I... So I <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the importance of voting for local government in a second, but yeah, yeah. Um, but which is actually more important than the presidential election. But we'll get to that in a second. We'll we'll flag that. Um, but so I voted in the two thousand election, which was a complete you know what show. So it's just interesting to learn uh, about the political system as as a twenty year old voting in the two thousand election, um, and how and how much how different it was than I think from when my when I watched my parents vote in like the seventies and eighties and early nineties. Um, but I another another part of the polity uh, of the political system of the party system that's interesting to me is it feels like it was like the nineties when it started to become a moral um, decision for. The party is like before, I think, um, you know, you chose based on whether you wanted more taxes or didn't want more taxes. You wanted more government involvement or didn't want more government involvement. And it, and it became, you know, I felt like a, probably around the Bush-Clinton era where there was really became an assignment of morality. Like this party is more moral than this party. Um, any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on why um, that would have happened? Yeah, uh, I mean, it actually was, it, it kind of had its foundation um, kind of in the Nixon era as far as um, the whole, you know, Christian conservative movement and that kind of thing, yep. social issues. So that kind of made the scene at that point. But um, yeah, as far as, as, as how people kind of, that's kind of their, their picking kind of devices. That, it's kind of, you know, mostly a lot, you know, to do with finances, economics, things like that. You know, you always hear about how people vote with their pocketbook. Um, yeah. that's kind of been something that's been more of a driving factor. Um, but it seems, you know, you, you kind of alluded, you know, with 2000, that kind of seemed to be more where these social issues became more prevalent. So you yeah. think it happened like in that election, like 2000? Or? Yeah. And then, and, you know, in the Clinton area, there was, there was some talks about that, you know, as well. But yeah, yeah I think, I think a lot of it has to really do with, with our uh, availability with, with the internet and the news and things like that. It became more of a talk point it became more of, of something that they kind of had to talk to other than you know when they do their stump speeches and things like that it became more yeah. of a thing of oh this person's gonna be viable because they 
they are pro-abortion or anti-abortion, you know, things like that. It was very, yeah. you know, that it became more of a prevalent thing to do and, and a, a better label and identifier of, of what you, you know, ultimately stood for as a candidate. I always think that's so interesting because like, the president, I mean, how much of that is in the certain person you're voting for's hands? Like if you're voting for somebody because they're like anti-abortion or pro-abortion or one of those like huge issues, like how much is that, how much do we vote for people based on stuff like that when it actually is going to have very little to do with their time in office? Yeah. You know? Well, it depends on who you're voting for, obviously, whether they'll have an effect on it or not. Yeah, but like generally... And, and I mean, I mean, it depends because I mean, there, you know, you, you take example like Obama, like his his thing was all about healthcare. So I mean, if that was something that was a social issue that was very big for you, I think that would probably weigh pretty high on it. But you yeah. know, I don't think we'll see in modern days or even in looking at past elections, like, you know, I, I name your social issue here is, is the whole reason why you should elect me. Um, you know, cause I mean, you, you'll even look at people that are in Congress or, or running for president that may support one thing, but they'll tell you that they're going to vote this way because that's what yeah. their, their, their constituents want. And you know, that's how it should be. Um, but yeah, I, I think we kind of get too wrapped up on some of those things and, and kind of, digging in the weeds on that stuff to kind of, you know, yeah. you know, I guess either eliminate or choose a candidate that we, we want to elect an office. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, we can, let's, what I, I was going to talk about this later, but I think this actually fits better here um, about the, about local government and the, the importance of local government. And I, I think what, one of the ways that I've grown, this is how I talk to other people about it, if they want to hear me, most people like like Rebecca Cochran just here, the teacher from Charlie Brown when I talk about <laughs> politics. But my <laughs> friend said, actually, you actually said that one. So I know you, that's what you do. Um, <laughs> but like when people who actually want to talk about it, um, you know, we, I think that knowing what each type of government role does and 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 choosing a person based on what their role is versus based on what their party is instead of you know I, I feel like a lot of our parents grew up in an age where it was just like straight ticket party. Like I'm, I'm, I'm voting Democrat and we, and it went down the ballot or I'm voting Republican and it went down the ballot. And I think, like you said, the, the invention of the internet and social media and all of those things have given us more of an ability to dig into what um, different um, people in government believe about certain things. So we have more of options, but let's talk a little bit about how, it matters like local government and their effects and what they do versus like what we vote for in like a president or even a, um, a senator. Sure. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, with 50 states, there's, you know, 50 ways to skin the cat. There's yeah. ways, but generally, yeah, you, you have your local municipalities. Um, so your, you know, your county commission, your, your, your city council, things like that. Um, so that's, that's the, the most drilled down part. Um, yes. And then you have generally you have two assemblies. You have your 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 state house and state senate, which is kind of uh, emulates the same kind of thing that we have with the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate. Um, those are, are are pulled more from your just your district that you that you reside in, um, and then uh, they basically convene at the state capitol and, and, you know, it's, it's the same kind of um, scale that we do at the U S house of representatives, except it's just for the state of Georgia, for example. Um, so 
when you talk about local government and things like that, I think the big thing that I, I, I'd like to share with your listeners is that you think about how much money, it, you know, you always hear about how our U.S. Congress, how much money they spent and things like that. Yeah. Um, and that always gets the headlines. But what about the local government? You know, things that actually do affect you on a daily basis. The total expenditures last year for the United States uh, for the federal government was $4.3 trillion. Yeah. But on a local level, it's $2.9 trillion, which is nothing to snuff at. You know, like that's something yeah. that goes to schools, that goes to roads, that goes to all sorts of things and amenities that you have that affect you in your local literal backyard. Um, they make decisions on your infrastructure, on your roads, on your ordinances. Uh, they do zoning, they do laws recycling, and regulations, recycling, track, you know, track. so there's all these things that I think we kind of get lost and you alluded, you know, with the internet and all that stuff, we can research candidates and things like that. I feel like the internet's kind of a blessing and a curse because yeah. we kind of gloss over this, this whole municipality thing and uh, who cares about my city council, who cares about my fourth district representative or this or that or the other. And, you know, we don't think about all that noise that's going on in the background because, you know, we think it, you know, it's more important to elect a president, which, which it's yeah. important. It's important to have a figure yeah. like that. I'm not, you know, right. negating that, but, um, you know, public safety in your local neighborhood, you know, how many police yeah. people you have, things like that. I don't think people think about that until something actually happens to them or they actually need to utilize it or things like that. Um, but I think there's a lot more that they do that is goes under the radar as far as our media and things like that, that doesn't put that in the, the front and center for us. And it, it, it you know, it doesn't, it, you and I would normally not know who our, our, our state representative was mm -hmm. or because it doesn't get all that, that, that popularity. Um, but it really does affect, I mean, you, you, you pay your taxes every year, at, you know, your property taxes, like there's somebody that influences that there's somebody yep. you can go to appeal somebody that you can make a decision, you know, and say, I don't want this person in office because my taxes keep going up. You know, it's things like that, that I think we kind of lose sight on. And, and, you know, we look at the big ticket, which is great, but you know, things like that, it does it is important to not just check all the D's or check all the R's. If you're, you know, yeah. doing a party thing, it's, it's good to do your research, you know, to the best of your ability. I, I'm not saying go out there and research every single person that's on your yeah. ticket. All thing. 20 judges on the ticket or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. be, be realistic, yeah. you know, be, be like, but, yeah. but, you know, certain things that, that are important to you, if, if taxes are important to you, if, um, if schools are important to you, yeah. you know, think about the, who's running for the, the school superintendent. Think of who's running for the sheriff, think, you know, if that's applicable in your area, because those things will, will affect you more than I think you realize. And it, it, it again, comes down to things that you prioritize at, you know, as a citizen. Well, and a lot of times, like the people who, are in small government end up being in big government. So yeah. a lot of the people you end up are people that you end up having to choose from for mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a, yeah. I mean, higher election. It really is a good stepping stone. I mean, it's a great yeah. way to get into politics. It's a good way to kind of get your footing and, and understand that. But yeah, to ultimately springboard and, and, and make your career into, you know, a U.S. rep or a Senator or things like that. That's, that's what all of these people did. You know, they, they were, you know, I'm sure practice law and then they, or, or, you know, members or of reality TV stars or exactly. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Anybody can be president. No, yeah. it's, so it's interesting. It's interesting. I, um, 
it, you know, when you talk to people and you, you ask them like, what's important to them? And let's take, because what my, my number one ticket item um, is education. So that's what, that's important to me. Not every education is not important to everybody, but education is super important to me. So I have to think about then, so pick whatever it is, education, healthcare, taxes, whatever, um, infrastructure, whatever is like your passion. And, and some people, maybe nothing, but for some of us, we have a passion and mine's education. So we have to think about, you look at the federal level, there's not a lot the federal government does to directly affect my children's education. I mean, obviously they do. There, there are federal programs and all that kind of stuff. But most of what affects my children's education in my community's schools is local. Um, you know, all the way up to like state kind of level. Um, the federal government doesn't have as much to do day to day with the education. But for so long, I'm like, education is important to me. And I voted for my president or my senators based on their feeling of education. But most of them didn't even really have that big of a platform around education because the federal government doesn't have a lot. That's a state-based um thing. Like, I mean, yes, the federal government over the last like 10 or 15 years has had more of a push towards education, but mostly it's a state run idea. Right. So I, how I feel about education falls in like one party's um, platform and how I feel about other things falls in another party's platform. And so maybe I vote one way federally and another way locally because based on what's important. And I think, I think that's mostly what I'm getting at is that is that thinking the two party system, like it's okay to like jump around, <laughs> especially when you're talking about your local government. Like, think about my school board. Like, our school board doesn't even run on political ticket. Like, it, they're, they're, our school board runs, you know, on what they can do for the schools, but they aren't associated with a party. Um, and they have more to do with my family than almost anything in my local government. So, well, I think it's important to research that. And, and it's important too, because I mean, like I said, with the trillions of dollars that actually get funneled back, you know, the federal government is giving these folks money. So yeah. there's a lot of money to do all these things, but it's the people that are going to spend it and how they're going to spend it. That's what's important. Yeah. And that's, you know, alluding to education. That's why it's really important to you to, to make sure you know who your school superintendent, who all those elected officials that are going to affect your children's education. That's a very important thing to you because they're going to be spending that money that is allocated to, yes. you know, promote whatever their agenda is or whatever they think is good for that school and that school district. I mean, it's, it's things like that, that I think we kind of lose sight of because, you know, we, we, it's almost like the presidency and the senators and things like that. It's the glamor and the glitz and, and everyone's starstruck and like, let's, you know, focus on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're obviously more concerned about your son or daughter's education and, and, and how they're being taught and what's going on there locally. Um, you know, that, 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 more more or less affects you more. Yeah. Um, I know it's funny. I actually, I went through a period of the past couple of years until COVID, and we'll talk about that in a second, where I'm like, I, I don't even really care that much about the governor and the president. I mean, I do, but they don't really affect me day to day that has changed in the current crisis that we're in. <laughs> but mostly they don't affect me. Like I care more about in, who's in those positions is like what kind of figurehead, like you said, that they are. Um, now, um, in our current situation that we're in, in our current crisis, the governor actually has a lot to do in crisis like this. And so governor um, selection is important. I wouldn't have said that before this. I wouldn't have said that I, I really care that much about the governor, but so much has been given um, to the governor's responsibility and, the, and coronavirus response. I'm like, oh, 
so maybe the governor is important. <laughs> but I didn't think they were before. So. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, okay, let's go into checks and balances because that's that kind of that's a good segue to talk about <laughs> talking about who has what role because I think I I have I see people especially get visceral on social media and they're like you know if that person gets elected it's that's the end it's <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> we're, we're we're hey and don't don't get me wrong in 2016 I almost moved to Australia it's fine um, but <laughs> but. I, that was obviously a dramatic response um, and an emotional response. But we're not like talking about political parties on this series at all. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, um, but I'm just saying that people on both sides of the spectrum can get you know emotionally responsive and like if that person gets elected, then it's all over. And and I'm I'm guilty of that. You know the other way, like you know, if, 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 if st- things stay like this, it's over, you know, and, but that, which is not really true because the founding fathers set up the government to where that's not the case. So let's talk a little bit about checks and balances and how the founding fathers set up checks and balances. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, can I just interrupt and say that I have restrained myself 10 times from singing Hamilton songs? I know. When he said Alexander Hamilton, I was like, I, I, I bit my tongue. She was like, yeah. yeah. in. <laughs> I knew she was going to go in song and dance. And I, I, yeah, yep. I yeah. We'll come up with a Hamilton reference to be the, the title of this episode. <laughs> yes. No, no. Well said, no. So, yeah, so, yeah, the, the founding fathers, you know, we're definitely ahead of their times when it, when it came to checks and balances. You, you have your three basic uh, branches of government here in America. So you have obviously the executive branch, which is the president. Um, Who's in that? President, vice president? Well, so the executive is, you know, you, you've got your, um, your cabinet members, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's more, you know, but with the president, you know, he's the commander in chief. So he's, he's presides over the military. Um, they, the big thing with the presidents is they also appoint all the federal judges. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a big thing. Um, you know, when you have Supreme court nominations, if there's any vacancies there, they appoint those. Um, so it's, it's important, you know, in that aspect, because I, you know, a lot of people, especially in recent election, it was, it was kind of a big deal. And I think people became more aware of it um, when they knew that some people were going to be retiring from the bench. Um, so that kind of, you know, got up in the limelight. Is, I guess good to know that, that that's you know something that they do. They also yeah. uh, they have the ability to uh, veto bills. Um, so you know we'll get in. Obviously, then the the legislative branch is the second branch of government. Um, so that compromise or that um, is composed of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, so they're basically the power of the purse. They're the ones that control the, the spending of money. They also pass legislation. Um, However, if they pass all of that, the president has the ability to, what we say, veto. Um, so when the bill actually, and it, it's a really cool process because it, it, it is literal, like the bill comes to his desk, he has to sign it. Um, he can veto or, you know, basically say, I'm not going to sign this into law. This, um, he has that ability. So there's a check and balance with that. Um, but what's also fun is that if he decides to veto that, they, um, let's see, so the the Congress can override the veto with two thirds of a vote. Yeah. So if two thirds of, of um, both houses of Congress 
vote to be override the veto, they can actually do that. So there's another check and balance with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, yeah, they have the power of the purse. They have the power to declare war. Um, I know that's kind of come up in, in recent history yeah. with the Bush administration. And um, I think even Obama, there was some conflicts and things that they did as well. But um, so basically not to get too far into it, but the president can order military force on certain things, but they have 60 days to basically rectify that. And then if it has to be a full on type of declaration of war, only Congress can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of some little loopholes and, and nuances in there. Um, so then the last branch of government is the judicial branch. So obviously all of your judges and things like that. Um, one big thing is uh, with the house of representatives and the Senate um, they can pass amendments to constitution, um, to constitutional amendments. So, um, the judicial branch can, yeah, the, uh, the legislative branch, legislative can. branch can, so that's another check and balance. So yeah. for example, you know, and then, um, sorry, then the, I'm still on the legislative, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here in my notes. Um, but yeah, the judicial, they, they basically, you know, anything in a federal court or Supreme Court, obviously Supreme Court is the one thing that we really notice um, on that. Yeah. But even down here, again, back to the local discussion, like any type of local federal, you know, federal courts that come to the, you know, any type of judge that's on that is, is appointed by the, by the president. Um, they, the judicial branch, basically their main thing is to declare laws, whether they're constitutional or unconstitutional. Yeah. So that's when they do judicial review. So when... Mm-hmm when um they determine something that's unconstitutional um what the legislative branch could do to kind of check and balance that is what i was is is they can pass additional amendments to the constitution Mm -hmm. so that's where that comes into play so again it's, it's really fascinating how all three you know we obviously you know like to favor the the executive and things like that but when you start to think of all these little mechanics and things um all these other things can come into play um, yeah. and really and truly kind of balance, you know, the scales of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really think about it, even though I know there's been a lot of discussion recently about abuse of executive power and we won't go into the politics of that, but, but, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people's, that are on the opposite side of the president because we're not talking about political parties. A lot of people on the opposite side are, are concerned about executive power. And I don't think people really understand like how much check there is on executive power. I mean, yes, he does. He does. He or she hopefully one day has power, but in it, and it's a lot of power, but it's still checked. It's still yeah. checked by the Supreme court. It's still checked by, by the legislative branch. And, and I think, People get up in arms, um, including myself. Yours truly gets up in arms sometimes with decisions that are made, thinking that they're the end all be all. For forgetting that, like, there's other people that this has to go through. I felt like we need to like link in the show notes. What's the old um, how a bill becomes uh, law? Yeah, on Capitol Hill. That really has made an impression on our generation. Like, well, I, I, I was like, just thinking when you to. were talking, I was like, yeah. I was going to ask, and I was like, I'll just watch that video. <laughs> We'll have to go and we'll have to go and watch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I need to show that to my children. Um, I don't know how a bill becomes law. So I have to link to it. It's it's a good one. It's a good one. So yeah, yeah. just touch back on on you. You know, you're kind of alluding with like the executive branch and things. There are things that 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 the executive branch can do as far as I think 
you know, executive orders and things like that, where they're kind of memorandums of things. Um, even um, where I work, there's been recent executive orders to kind of change things. Um, but to keep in mind that, you know, again, that obviously gets, you know, kind of pushed down. And then if somebody objects to it or tries to challenge it, that's where the judicial branch comes in. So, yeah. Now, these executive orders can be done and if they have any bearing you know with the public or any type of, of bearing with legalities or things like that that's where the, the the court steps in to to basically remedy whether it's it's constitutional or not and then again yeah. you could still get, keep the battle going and go in with the Senate and the, you know the you know Congress and figure all that yeah. stuff it's kind of almost like a perpetual cycle there's there's it's never usually the end of the road. There's always some type of balance and, and yeah. that's exactly how it was intended. So, and this yeah. is a really interesting, like, um, even though as we've discussed at length, I don't keep up with this stuff, but I can't help <laughs> how much fighting there's been between the president and Congress back. I mean, it's like, it's really been a, the last few years have really shown us how much check and balance there is because it's just a constant back and forth and like, yeah. You know, you see it more. You see it more when it when we're in a situation like where we are now. Yeah, like, when you know, one's like, in power, when you when your executive and your legislative brands are two different um, parties yeah. are in power, and you see that so much more. Um, and so it, it makes almost a stalemate, which I think a lot of us can get really frustrated with. Like I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of just like regular people who don't care a ton and don't dig into it a lot, we can get really frustrated with like the stalemate that it seems to present when it's constantly going back and forth, that that's exactly how it was set up. It, it, it was exactly set up to um, check and check and balance in that way. So my personality is such that I want like things to get done. And I don't, I get so frustrated sometimes with the government, especially when we're in like a crisis situation, like COVID where I'm like, I just get it done, pass the bills, get the vaccines, like whatever it is. I'm like, get it done. Why does it take so long? And both, both, both of my parents worked in federal government. So I like literally understand the processes and the bureaucracy and all of that. But sometimes you get really frustrated, but then I have to remind myself. And I think people need to remind themselves that like, that's how it was set up. It was set up for a reason. Like our democracy works because it takes so long to do things. (laughs) It's not, it's not set up for us to like move through procedures quickly. It's good to have that frustration because it kind of serves as a good, you know, wake up call and reminder, um, you know, with how, how important it comes back to, you know, us not just doing a straight line kind of vote, but kind of researching and um, looking into candidates because, you know, yeah, it is a check and balance and it it is frustrating that some things don't get passed so quickly, but um, it, it kind of, again, like I said, just serves as a kind of good reminder that, you know, this is why you need to do your research on who's there and whatnot. Um, and, and, you know, next election cycle, when it comes around, you know, maybe you can change the outcome of who's in, in Congress and who is in power and controls the purse, um, mm-hmm. and you know, ultimately in other branches as well. But, um, it's just, yeah, I, I, it, it frustrates, you know, at times, you know, the way it works, but again, I, I think in the overall big picture, I think it's, you know, it's a good thing to have. Yeah. It's always funny. My David and I, my husband, are we're completely opposite sides of the political spectrum. But one thing that we do talk about is how it's really good when, when there's you know a presidential, a president that's one party and the Congress is another party. Like as much as we want it to be our both to be our party, it's actually better for the government if it's 
if there's those checks and balances. And I think we're seeing that right now. As much as we get frustrated with that things aren't happening quickly, I think we don't want them to happen quickly. We do want them to happen quickly, but we don't want to ha- them to happen too quickly. Um, you know, you don't want um, one party making all the decisions um, for yeah, sure. Definitely. So, because that would be um, that could be disastrous for sure. Um, Okay, so I think one of the biggest things that still confuses me, even though I really like politics and I study politics a lot, is electoral college. Like, I still don't understand electoral. <laughs> I mean, I understand like the like like the basic idea of why we have the electoral college, but like every time, like so in 2016, one one candidate won the popular vote and one candidate won the electoral college vote, and obviously the electoral college wins out. So explain the electoral college to us one more time. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's a tough task. Um, it it kind of is convoluted, and I think it, I think the thing is is that people obviously you know don't really are in, you know they they don't really expose themselves to this unless you know there's an like election going on. Um, but basically, the electoral college is a group of electors that actually choose the president in an election. So you and me as voters, when we actually vote, we're not necessarily technically voting for who the president's going to be. We provide a popular vote, um, and you know I can get into the weeds with each state and everything. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, most most of the time, what happens is that um, the state chooses electors and it's all based on, on proportion. So you're going to get two automatically for senators and then it's proportionate to the size of your state as far as, you know, like house of representative districts, um, things like that go. Um, so we do our general election thing, um, how we vote. There's a popular vote that's given, um, those electors or are, you know, legally obligated to vote, um, you know, from from the way that the uh, the popular vote goes, they have to vote for that. So basically, what happens is we have our election on on Tuesday in November, um, and then the I think it's the second second Monday of, of it's usually middle of December. Um, yeah. They actually congregate and um, cast their official votes. Um, so that's kind of basically how the, it's, it's basically adding a layer to the whole process. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't, don't necessarily understand the mystery behind it and, and whatnot, but the way it was, it was designed is to basically kind of give representation through like, or give, give a proportion of representation based on, yeah. on certain things. So, you know, you don't want one central, you know, big, 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 you know, city and a state choosing, you know, a big office or things like that. It's kind of proportionate. Um, So let's take Georgia, for example. So like Atlanta, obviously, is the most populous part. Um, And so if we just went with the popular vote, pretty much whoever Atlanta selected for president when they went to the polls would be the president for like who would win Georgia. But Georgia is more than just Atlanta. So we have different electorates that represent the entire population of the state, correct? Well, so yes and no. So most of the states, a majority of the states, um, with the exception, let's see, of Maine and Nebraska, each winner of the state, like popular vote, gets all of the electors. Okay. So, So in Georgia, if candidate X beats candidate Y, 
all the electoral college votes, all the electors have to vote for candidate X. Okay. Uh, in Maine and Nebraska, it's a little bit different. The winner gets the two senators and then the others are distributed based on the district. So if candidate X won that district, they get that, that, that uh, elector. Um, so those okay. are two that's kind of based on districts. So everything else, though, every other state, it's, it's a winner-take-all, if you will. So how do we end up with a popular vote that's different than an electoral college vote if they have to vote based on, if the electors have to vote based on what the popular vote was? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you kind of think about it. And if you're running a campaign, um, it's, it's almost like a game. You know, you, you obviously know ahead of time which states have how many electors. So that's basically kind of the strategy when it comes to campaigning and trying to get those votes. Where do we want to put our resources to try yep. those votes? Because the magic number um, is 270. How do we get above that? Like what mathematically can work with all these? Yeah. This is all, it's all done ahead of time. So this, these numbers are already there. Um, yeah. And these campaigns know that. So that's, that's kind of where they know um, where to focus and everything. So how we get different elector um, numbers or electoral college numbers every different election really just depends on the popular vote, how, how people vote in each state. Um, you know, so not to get all, you know, like your vote does matter. So, you know, like it depends because you could traditionally be a blue state, but, you know, you might have a candidate that most people like the other um, party and, and, you know, that's what we call a swing state. So mm-hmm. they can go from one to another. So I, it, it really, um, it really depends on the candidate. So are you saying it depends on like the number of electors? Like, so if a popular vote across the whole U S is for candidate X, but like, how would the number, so if that was a popular vote, but I'm assuming in some states, they may have, the popular vote may have been different and those states may have less electors or more electors and that would change it. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. You're, you're looking at a national level, but in actuality, it's real important for the state level. Um, So that's how you get your electoral college from each state is, is, is by the popular vote of each state. So you're thinking of the aggregate. You're thinking of the entire United States popular vote. Somebody, right? Uh, for example, you know uh, the argument of uh, Hillary Clinton getting the popular vote. Yeah, and, yeah. Explain yeah. how that happened. Like, explain how she got the popular vote. But right. So yeah. the way that the Constitution is with the the Twelfth Amendment and the Electoral College, that's um, kind of what I was explaining. The, the the winner take all. That's why it's important. It's really a state's game. It's really to you know, put your resources in the states that can get you over 270. Yeah. So when we, we kind of get wrapped up, oh, well, I won the, the popularity contest. I've got everything like the entire nation wants me, but that's not how this works. It, it really is. It's based on each state if you get over that 270 number. So it, it's nice to see that popular number throughout the entire United States. But again, it, you, you got to drill down to the, the microphone of each state. So I want to know how to become an elector. That's <laughs> well, what I want to do. controversy where one didn't vote how they were supposed to, but they still had the ability to not vote how they were supposed to? Like, how does that yeah. happen? So, yeah, that, um, that actually is in the court right now uh, in Colorado. There was an elector that uh, I believe voted for a certain a candidate that wasn't 
the one to win the entire state. Um, So they're arguing whether or not it's federal jurisdiction versus a state jurisdiction. So that's interesting. It's in the court right now, but I mean, in all reality, it's, it's probably going to be in favor of of them having to abide by the federal, um, you know, both that they do. Cause yeah, you, you ask how, how, you know, how can I become an elector? Yeah. It's actually your, your, it's done by each state. So, I mean, it's, it, I, I think I, I don't think the process is necessarily the same in each state. So, I mean, it's kind of something that you probably want to research. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's, it would be an interesting thing to be or be a part of uh, for sure. I think it would be fun. Cause I'm a nerd. I'm like, Ooh, I want to be an elector. That would be fun. Except for when I would have to vote for somebody that I didn't want. Maybe I would. Maybe I don't want to be an elector. I don't know if I can be impartial. I yeah. end up in court like the guy from Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a certain. So are there the same? Like how many? I know I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but like how many electors are there in like Montana versus New York State? Like um, is it somewhat even? It's based on population, and right. it never changed. Because doesn't it? Does the number of electors change in the state? I thought it was like kind of set. No. Yeah, it, it depends. I think with the the districting, um, I'm not 100 percent sure, so don't quote me on that, that area. Um, but it, yeah, Montana is going to have a lot less because there's a lot less representation from Montana. Um, I, I don't know. Remember the exact numbers. I want to say New York's in the 40s, like 42 or something electors, um, and Montana's like single digits or teens somewhere. So do those, uh, the numbers fluctuate of the electors? No. Well, that's what I was asking. Like, so the numbers don't fluctuate? No, not, I I mean, they're, again, they're based on districts and representation. So in the event you get more districts, which I don't, Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I don't think that. So even though Montana is a big state, it has less districts. Because no, I get that. What I'm saying is yeah. like New York, if New York keeps growing in population, yeah. are they going to get more electors or is it? Uh, so everyone's, so everyone's going to get two. They're going to get at least two for two senators. So that that's where that two number comes into. Okay. After that, it's based on how many house of representatives that you have to have the election. Okay. That's what, yeah. okay. Yeah. So like, the, the state of New York has more House of... And then the state of Texas, which is where I'm from, has a lot more House of, House of Representatives than, right. say, like, Iowa or something. So it's a number of House of Representatives, yeah. people in your state, plus two. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, yeah, and it's a, that's why, you know, you're always looking at California, Florida, Texas. Those are big, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, California is typically a, a Democratic voting state. So a lot of times you're not going to necessarily have to do a lot of campaigning if you're the democratic candidate, because, you know, it's kind of, you want to put your eggs in other baskets like Pennsylvania's and Wisconsin's and Ohio's that kind of swing. They have voters that are kind of, you know, in between or independent. So um, again, it's, it comes down to strategy and more of, if you think about it, it's more of a game of who becomes president. It's based on how you campaign and where you campaign. Yeah. And I think it's important, like like you said, because um, I, I think sometimes we can get frustrated and be like, well, if 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 it's just a numbers game and and a, you know there's no strategy, what does my vote count? And um, in the end, it does. It doesn't. I mean, I mean, honestly, I feel like it probably counts less in the presidential election. Not that you don't need to vote, because you especially if you live in a swing state, for sure, vote. But it I, it trickles down, right? Like if you, the people that go and vote for the presidential election then are voting for other things on that ballot. And so while it may seem like your presidential vote doesn't really matter, like it affects all the other 
like trickle down votes um, for other things. And so, but I can find myself sometimes getting cynical and being like, well, it doesn't really matter how I vote because, you know, the electoral college is going to determine anyways. And I live in a red state. And if I'm not red, then, or if I live in a blue state and I'm not blue, then, you know, if I live in Texas and I'm blue, then I'm not going, what difference does it make? You know, it's, it's hard not to feel that way sometimes. Yeah, but remember, it, it comes back to the you know your local elections and things like that. That you know, so you again can get wrapped up in the electoral college and the presidency and things like that. But you know, a lot of times these elections are also held on the same time. So you know, it's an opportunity to you know make changes in your local community if there's something that doesn't sit well with you or that you want to change. I mean, there's that's definitely an opportunity that you know you can definitely see that your vote will count and it will make a big difference. Yeah. That's good. Anything else you would like to share, Chris? <laughs> um, that, I mean, I think we pretty much, yeah, we, we covered poli sci 101. I mean, is there any other Becca, do you have any questions? Of things you wish you understood, but you don't? How many senators there are? Good <laughs> <No>. now. <laughs> um, well, how... No, but it's a, it's a very exciting year in Georgia because we are getting two new senators. Usually you're only, or get it, like you're usually only one's up, but we had one retire and we have one. So it's very, it's very exciting this year. So vote for your senators, Georgia. How do they determine, <laughs> um, explain how we get a certain number of representatives? It's based on population or it's based on districts? Yeah, so kind of hand in hand that goes with the districts. Each district has a representative that represents them in Congress. Um, so you, you will have things, and again, comes back to local elections, um, uh, a thing where they redistrict and they draw different boundaries. So that kind of moves different populations that vote. Um, so that's why, you know, with, with house, um, elections and things like that in your state, that's why it's important, you know, to vote in those because that has the opportunity. I know when we lived here, I think we were in a prior district and now we're in a different district mm-hmm. and it's been just a couple of years. So I think, you know, you, especially when you live in these kind of areas, it, it kind of changes um, from time to time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, everyone, everyone, as far as the national level, each state gets two senators. So there's a hundred senators and then we have 435 house of representatives. Mm-hmm. So that's based on all the districts. And then we have six representatives, um, in areas like, um, D.C. and Puerto Rico, places like that, that don't have voting power, but they have representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Go vote. That's going to be my, my theme <laughs> for the next, like, however, what are we at? Like, four months or something? Go vote. Go vote. I'm going to make up a song <laughs> or a poem or something. <laughs> I did. I did my first absentee ballot. I've never done yeah. an absentee ballot because for the primary... Um, that's what next week or the week, no, in two weeks. Um, I, because I love voting in person so much. I'm such a nerd. You guys, I'm such a complete nerd. I love going in. I love putting a little card in and doing it. I love getting my sticker and putting my sticker on social media. (laughs) I love everything about voting day. So very sad, but I felt like it was the right thing to do right now to do an absentee ballot. I'm hoping by November I'll get to go do it in person. But so but the fun thing about it is that I had time to process because you know your mail your mail ballot comes to you, and okay. like I looked at my all my primary um and like the the presidential primary has been decided, but like all the other ones, I'm like oh I have time to research this. Like I was able to look up like their platforms because like I said we're voting for two senators and uh, you know I, a lot of in, in my district a lot of um, 
a lot of representatives and stuff are coming up for election. And so I was like, oh, I have time to research. So that's just my little plug for, for yeah. mail-in ballots. I'm always like, who's that? <laughs> what am I even voting for right now? I still like, with the judges, I was like, I don't have time. Like, <laughs> I, it's so hard for me to like, choose a judge. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you bring up, I mean, I know we all try to vote every four years and everything, but House of Representatives are every two years, Senate yes. six years. So, you know, there's a lot of times in between where they don't fall on. And like you said, there's a special election here in Georgia. So yeah. um, with people retiring, things like that, those those um, those election times change. So, I mean, it's again, it's really important. That, yeah. If I could stress anything, don't just wait every four years to vote. Yeah. Um, definitely be on on your toes every two years. And, and you know, even even sooner than that with your local municipality. Yeah, every, I mean, every year there's, you you know, usually some municipality or, you know, some commissioner or whatever. And it's just interesting getting involved more in local politics, realizing how much that matters. Like, and, and you know, some of the work I've had to do with our neighborhood and like the, the, the county commissioners and like, they just have a lot of pull. So they're, they're important positions. Yeah. So I'm glad we talked about that. Okay, thank you, Chris. Thanks, Yay. It's so fun. Hey, Rebecca's okay. still awake. So. I'm still awake. Okay. <laughs> and I am too, because this is right past my bedtime. <laughs> okay, bye, everybody. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.